everyone, and welcome to episode 54 of the True Crime All the Time Unsolved Podcast. I'm Mike Ferguson, and with me, as always, is my partner in true crime, Mike Gibson. Gibby, what is going on? What's happening? Not much, man. Another good day in the neighborhood. Another Rocky Mountain High. What is it with you in the Rocky yeah, Mountain High? today, man. Are you just, are you thinking about John Denver lately or what? Me and John. You and John Me Denver? John. What's up, John? Oh, John's not around anymore. No, John, John is not. No. He's not with us. Yeah, good day, man. Oh, it is. Things are going good. Yeah. I got to tell you this story. My, my daughter got into skiing. She's in this ski club at school where they go like four times. Right. And they teach them how to ski. And so she, she went the other night comes home is telling me the story about how she fell which i think is pretty common in skiing right sure. i've never actually been skiing snow skiing you don't look like a skier i don't i don't i don't have the body for it quite i don't she, know how you keep your head warm she falls and like her whole shirt coat everything rides up all her layers come up all the layers come up and she basically slides on her bare back ouchie down this hill Ooh man so we get home. She's telling me this in the in the truck. We get home. She shows it to me. Dude, it looks like she fell off of a motorcycle going 100. Got some road rash or ice rash, I guess. It is huh? brutal. I felt horrible for her. Wow. She had a hard time sleeping. She took it pretty good, though? Oh, yeah. She's yeah. ready to go back. She's a trooper. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's got some skills, it sounds like. <laughs> she's got some skills <laughs> sliding down a hill. She's learning. Yeah, you know, she is. She wasn't on I, no bunny hill either. Though. No, it wasn't. I'm, I'm just proud of her for doing it. Yeah. You know, for... Well, I just like the fact that she got back up and said, let's, let's do it again yeah, in a she couple did. days. She did ride, uh, even that night after she took a spill, she did it again. Well, that's good for her. So she's, it's awesome. she's tough, though. She's a tough one. She is a tough one. All right, Gibbs, let's do Patreon. We got some new Patreon supporters. Let's do Patreon. We had Gina Villarreal. Villarreal. Michaela Mays. Caroline Louise G. That time, I think you might have nailed it. You think? Maybe. How could I mess it up? Uh, okay. Ella Russell. I like, I just, Ella Russell. That's a cool name. It is kind of cool. Just like, I felt like a like jazz. Like a flows together. Yeah, it's like jazz. Beverly Salmon. Diana Matson. That's uh, related to the you know actor Matson. That's spelled way different. Am I off? Big yeah. time. This is Matson with like T's. Oh, well, sorry about that. You're not related to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Diana, you are related to people. We know that. Yeah. Singa Robertson Alberton. Good buddy. Lisa Stobert. Danielle Sampson Lemke. Gotta have the Lemkes around. We got a lot of Lemkes. We like the Lemkes. Everybody needs a Lemke in their life. No Friender Thrash Metal Show. Big contributor. Yeah, came out at our highest level. I got to figure out what the heck it is. Uh, it's got to be some kind of podcast or something. Well, maybe you use that tool called Google. Google? Think yeah. I should Google it? And maybe, I don't know, you might learn something. I am going to check it out. That's good. Jen Crenshaw. Hey, Jen. Robin H. Yeah, I like the uh, H. Like We weren't going to figure out what your last name is off of that. <laughs> Annie. And then we got Annie. Just Annie. Well, you know what? They made a whole Broadway show after her. Did they? Annie. Annie Get Your Gun? No, Annie. Oh, Annie. <laughs> little, yeah. Hello. Little Orphan Annie? Yeah, little, no, the redhead Annie. Was he yeah. an orphan? No, little she, Orphan Annie. Orphan. That's yeah. what they called her. That's right. She, she goes off with the guy Have with the... Have you seen Annie? She goes off with the guy with the shaved head. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Paula Hammond. Christy Marcel. My French. <laughs> Why do you think she's French? But Lindsey Greer. And Katie Burgey came out at our highest level as well. That's great. So Thank awesome. You. Thank all of you. We appreciate all the new Patreon supporters. I appreciate you more than he appreciates you. No, you don't. And then if we go back into the vault. This week we selected Selena Ginger. Been with us a long time. You like her, Gibbs, because she has two first names. I do. You like anybody that has two first yeah, names. That's pretty impressive when you can do that. I know you, you've always liked that. Marky Mark. You know, things like that. <laughs> Marky Mark. So big shout out to Selena for being a longtime contributor. And then we had a lot of support on PayPal as well. We had Cynthia Kelly, Richard Williams, 
Gayla Kyle, Jamie Laredo, and Laura Schaller. Laredo. Laredo. I feel like I'm in a Western. It's a very Western name. I want to put on my chaps and get my big belt buckle out. Okay, that one scared me for a while. For a minute, didn't, didn't know where I was going. I didn't know where you were going because you know you I had the chaps. Hey, and I then, didn't know either. Yeah, you never know where you're you gotta going. Be careful as the corner turns you until know, I don't know until where it's it take flies me. out. So big shout out to everybody. We love the support. It means a lot to us. It helps us tremendously. Dude, we love we love the support. Appreciate all the people that are on social media with us on the Twitter, the Facebook, the. Did you just say the Twitter? The Twitter. <laughs> the Twitter, the Snappy Chat, and uh, the Instagram. You just aged yourself like 20 years uh, by a, saying the Twitter. I'll come back with something that's cool and snappy. Just like on the interwebs? On the, yeah. <laughs> you know that uh, you got mail thing? And then the Merch Mart, man. Some cool stuff. I've been seeing some pictures. Yeah, I actually saw some pictures as well. Yeah. People taking pictures of things that they bought. The fleece jackets are really popular, and so are the kind of the workout pants. Yeah. Both embroidered with True Crime All Time. Yeah, stitched in looks good. Yeah, people are liking them. So that is cool. It took us a long time to get some extra, yeah. some more oh, merchandise. The, I, saw, I even saw pictures of the uh, doggy bandanas. Oh, yeah, Milena yeah. up in Canada got some really cute. doggy bandanas. Did bananas. I say bananas? I think you said bananas. I meant to say bandanas, but uh, you know what I meant. We have no bananas. Nope, no bananas for you, sir. All right, so after you listen to this episode, or if you haven't already, make sure you check out True Crime All Time. We've got a big timer episode out. Big time. Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Freaky, freaky dude. This is one that you know I've been wanting to do, Gibbs, since we started the show, but... You know, like we said, we set out to do a mix. Right. So we're not just going to run through all the big timers. We're trying to space them out and do a lot of lesser known cases in between. Yeah. Try to give you a little bit of the taste of everything. Yeah. Because people like both. They really, you know, they like to hear about ones that they know a lot about, but they we're, like to hear about those. We're like the taste of podcast. I don't know what that means. I don't either. But it I will, sounded good in my head, but you know me, I don't think I enough will, before I say. I will go with it. Yeah. But check that out. And then just want to talk a minute about CrimeCon. We are definitely going to be there. De- it- definitely. Definitely. De- definitely. De- definitely. It's in Nashville this year, which is cool. Yeehaw. Exactly. I know. I get to wear my boots and my hat and my Absolutely. buckle. Wear that big old buckle. If you have not signed up yet and you're going to, hold off just a little bit. We're going to be getting a code a special code from CrimeCon. Right. That will give you a little something, something. Yeah. And even if you've already signed up, once you get the code, just call them. I don't know if they'll do anything for you, but it's worth a shot. Can't hurt. If you don't ask, you never know. Boy, that is like one of the most profound things you've ever said. And if you know, and you don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> Put a little Harry, Spot, Harry, Harry Potter spin on it. <laughs> Harry Spot. <laughs> but if you didn't go to CrimeCon last year... It is a really cool time. It is. It's, it's just a lot of really cool people you get to meet. Yep. To hang out with other folks that are into true crime yeah, as people, much as you are. Podcast row, people coming up. It's Fergie. It's Fergie. And there's going to be a lot of podcasts there, even more, I believe, even more than last year. I think year. so. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's looking like there's people realize CrimeCon was a big deal. They yeah. want to get into it. So, yeah, we're going to have uh, Mike at our table with us too. Yeah, Mike Morford from yeah. uh, Criminology is going to yeah. be with us. So, so three mics in a row, right there. It's a lot of mics. How can you not lose with that? Maybe almost too many mics. Well, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'll just take two mics in a Gibby. All right, Gibbs, you ready to get into this episode of True Crime All Time Unsolved? Let's, let's just do it. We are going. We got a lot of layers to unpeel here. We do. We're talking about the murders of two men. Michael Tardio and Christopher Monson. So Michael Tardio was 35 years old. This guy was a model and he was also a doorman at the Garden of Eden. Now you say a doorman and people get a connotation in their head, but the Garden of Eden was like a top-notch premier Hollywood nightclub. It was the place to be, place to be seen. Right. 
Yeah, so if you're the doorman, you're the key master. You're 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 the man. Yeah. Uh, he decides if you come in or you don't come in. Is he manning the velvet rope like he, a Studio 54? Probably. I just didn't want people to think like this was some back alley no. place where this a guy is, was This is very high end Hollywood elite. Yeah, it re- it really was. And like I said, the guy was a model, he was a good-looking guy. He you know, he had that look like a model that you would see in like J Crew or something. Yeah. That's the kind of look that he had. Yeah. I call it catalog. He had that catalog look. Catalog look. That's good. Did you make yeah. that up? Uh, that is a well-known term. Oh, is it? In Gibbyology. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, it's not known at all is what you're saying. <laughs> you, that's a, that's just a gibbyism. It's a gibbyism. But, you know, Michael Tardio was very popular, had a lot of friends, and one of these friends in particular was a man named Christopher Monson. And Monson was 31 years old, came from a good family, what was described as a very close family. Yeah. And close his, knit. And his family actually owned a bunch of like store and locks in the LA area. So very successful family of store and locks, man. You make some good money out of it. Yeah, you can, those. especially yeah. if you got a bunch of them. Yeah. You're probably raking in the cash. Yep. But Michael came from a pretty successful family as well, good family, and Michael Tardio was married to a very beautiful up-and-coming actress named Kelsey, and they had two children at the time. So on the morning of September 2nd, 2002, the bodies of Michael Tardio and Christopher Monson are found in a luxury SUV. They had both been shot at very close range in, I guess, Gibbs, what you would have to call like an execution style. Sure. Very direct, very uh, taken by surprise type of way of shooting somebody. The killer or killers had attempted to set the SUV on fire, but they were unsuccessful. And during the initial investigation, the authorities were not able to find any fingerprints. There was no physical evidence found, and there were no eyewitnesses to tell the police what had happened. Yeah, I mean, no one heard the gunshots. No one heard anybody beeping their horn. Nothing. Kind of strange, right, that obviously multiple gunshots would have been fired. Right. Police are interviewing people, and not a single person heard 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 it. Yeah, heard a. So because of this, I think investigators start to believe that these guys were most likely shot somewhere else, and then someone drove the SUV to the location where they found it. Now, this was a very nice area where, where they found the SUV. And as they dig deeper into this case, the authorities come to find out that Michael Tardio had a girlfriend. Yeah, he, had, he had somebody on the side. On the side, yeah. And this was actually a, a Playboy cover girl. Yeah, kind of famous one. A big deal. I mean, she at one point was Hugh Hefner's girlfriend. Yeah, that's... Well, he had a lot of girlfriends, though. He did, but he's only had... Well, he's had a lot over the t- the period of time where he was alive, but right. I don't know if he has any now. He probably does, knowing Hugh. I mean now yeah he's dead why well, he's probably still has bunnies oh up, uh, up there with him oh yeah probably yeah knowing him okay he's yeah. hugh hefner yeah but this was she, she was really in because she actually shared you know his bed well and i think that's that's kind of where i was getting to before yeah. i said that but there's only been so many that shared the house right. shared the bedroom He's had a lot of girlfriends over the years. Right. But for long stretches of time, as I understand it, there have been women that, and, and not usually just one, he would have two or three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she had a she had a really good looking sister, twin sister, and she was a playmate as well. So we're talking about Sandy Bentley, you know, very attractive. You mentioned her twin sister, uh, Amanda. They called her Mandy. And these two women were known as the Bentley twins and they were pretty famous. I mean, they, they had a modicum of fame. They did. You know, first from their playboy spread, 
I think they were on the cover. Yeah. Do you remember Playboy? I'm sure you used to get that. I never got it, but yes, I remember it. You never got it? Never came to you? you never no. I've it? never had a subscription where never. it came to my house. Really? You just borrowed it from a friend? No, but I remember it. Now, who doesn't know what it is? Well, just, did you, for the articles? Yeah, I only read it for the Yeah. Yeah, okay. I would skip through the pages to get to the articles. Yeah, you'd like, oh, let me get past this. That's the, the kind of guy. That's the kind of guy I am. Yeah. But they were. They were they were known initially from that. But they would go on to you know appear on some TV shows. I think they were on Two and a Half Men, Sex and the City. Did you say Two and a Half Men? Uh-huh. Are we are we surprised that they would have been on Two and a Half Men? No, because with Charlie, yeah, which with uh, Charlie Sheen's character, yeah, yeah, I can see that lining up perfectly. I don't remember that, and I I watched Two and a Half Men. I don't remember them being on, but yeah, it's I know they were, and like you said, they they lived with Hef, and that's that's a whole you get a whole level of fame just from that. Yeah, I mean to the point because they were living with Hef. Um, Sandy was being, you know, I mean, as far as Hollywood standards go, it's probably not a lot, a lot of money, but he was paying her a thousand dollars a week, you know, to be at the mansion. She got a thousand dollar allowance to be at the mansion. Yeah. I mean, that's not a ton of money, but you're not, that's a ton of money for not really doing much. Right. Exactly. For just living there. Somebody's paying you to live in this big mansion. Yeah. They're feeding you. I'm sure. Buying you some nice clothes. Yeah, I, I guess where I was going with that is Hugh Hefner gets a lot of press. Yes. Or I'm, I should say he he got a lot of press while he was alive. Yeah, and generates it, sure. And so being around him in that capacity. Good for a career. Yeah, it, it, can't, it can't hurt you. And just by that association, you would in turn, you know, get some fame out of that. Now, he didn't treat the guys that did play girl that way though did you find that he never allowed you to stay no okay i never was able to stay in the mansion you just did the one shot yep that was it yep yep i went under the name mike concho (laughs) (laughs) yeah i never got a thousand dollars a week i can tell you that right now you're just happy that they paid you a hamburger yeah exactly now there were some stories that would come out of the mansion about the twins you know it would be said that Sandy and Mandy were kind of a handful for the staff of the mansion. At one point, Hef got upset because Sandy started having an affair with someone else while she was living with Hef as his partner. I'm guessing that's a big no-no in the mansion. I would say so. I'm just thinking he wouldn't think kindly of that. It's kind of hypocritical, Gibbs, if you think about it, because he had multiple partners at all times. Yeah. But my assumption is he expected that not to happen the other way around. Right. Only one way for him. Yes. Yeah. And and the man that that she was with during this time was a man by the name of Mark Yagala. And this was a Wall Street guy, very wealthy himself. And he was known as kind of a, a whiz kid. He really was. He kind of got lucky with trading stocks in high school and made a lot of money to the point that people took notice. And then he went from high school and just jumped in. And before you know it, was making a lot of money doing you know those hedge funds, which you know how, I mean, that's big time money. Yeah. I mean, if you're the managing a hedge fund... You should be wealthy. You, and you will. You will be if you get to that, that point in life. Right. I did see an interview that Mark Yagala did where he talked about, like you said, he started this young. Mm-hmm. And he talked about doing this in high school. Yeah. And the fact that you know his friends were, were off partying or going to the prom or homecoming or whatever it was. He was sitting home worried about his portfolio. Right. I mean, this is a this is a kid in high school making bank. Yeah, made big bank at first. But Mark wanted a trophy wife, and he thought that Sandy Bentley would be perfect to fit that bill. And to prove his love, Mark bought her an exact replica of the necklace from Pretty Woman. 
right? So a very famous, iconic scene. It really is, yeah. Richard Gere has the box, and he's showing Julia Roberts, and she goes to touch it, and he... Does the clam thing. Yeah, he clamps it down, and she laughs, that funny laugh that, that she has. That cute little giggle she has. She's a Team Gibby, by the way. No, I say replica. This is a cop. I mean, it was... Uh, I don't mean that it was fake. It it was very expensive. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was real jewels and everything, but it was it was made to look just like it. And like you said, it, it was going to be expensive. Yeah, I think maybe it cost as much as a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. That's no that's, joke. That's no joke. That's a lot of money to put around somebody's neck. That's almost as much as you make in a year, Gibbs. It's getting close, man. <laughs> Minus a few. <laughs> Take away a lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. But he, you know, he would go on to buy her Rolexes, more diamonds, rings, he you bought name her, it. At one point, bought her a some type of jeweled bracelet that cost a half a million dollars. So basically, he showered her, lavished her with gifts. He sure did. Millions of dollars, probably. He didn't stop at just getting her jewels. He couldn't. I mean, he kept going and buying her more stuff. He went out and bought her a house. Not only bought her a house, but he renovated the house. Well, I think to the tune of about $3 million. Yeah, it's just a pretty nice gig there. Bought her new cars. Well, of course, you got a new house. You got to have a new car. Well, yeah, if you're buying millions of dollars of jewelry, $3 million house, you got to have yeah, a new car. Yeah, go and get me the car, too, to go with it, please. But even through all this, it wasn't going to work. You know, eventually they would break up. She would end up taking, you know, all that jewelry with her. And would probably be wearing it, Gibbs, with her new boyfriend, eventually, Michael Tardio. Yeah. That'd be tough to take. I don't think it'd be too tough to take. I'd just wrap it around my neck and my, put it on and walk out the door. No, I meant tough to take as oh, the, the man one? that had bought oh. all of that stuff. Oh, my gosh, yeah. To see... To know that you put out three, four, five, ten, whatever, $10 million dollars on somebody well at least uh, over a million of it's probably walking out the door in Georgia. and she leaves you but i tell you something tells you she never loved you what are you giving love advice now love on the rocks we're gonna have a call in line call for 1-800 to, for gibby to give love advice gibby love advice i'd probably be all right i'd give some good love advice i'd get you over the hump <laughs> well, yeah with terms like that i don't think anybody don't think wants so. your love advice but the police would talk to mark yagala Right, as part of the investigation sure. into the murder of Tardio and Monson. And they would discover a few things. I mean, number one, he had a taste for the finer things in life. That shouldn't be any surprise, given the amount of money that he makes, given the amount that he lavished upon Sandy Bentley. But they also found out that you know, allegedly he had a pretty large appetite for sex. Young. With- I mean, you're young, got a lot of money. I, I can see that happening. Can you? Can you see that happening? Yeah. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> don't box me in a corner. I'm just saying, like, you know, you're making you, millions and you, you're young and you got all these, you know. I don't think lot. you have to be making millions to have a large appetite for sex when you you're young. Well, okay. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just busting <laughs> you, Chops. But he did. He had a large appetite. But it was how he filled that appetite that I think it was, you know, it was kind of interesting to police because what they found out was that, you know, we're talking about centerfolds, models, escorts, porn stars. Are we talking about Charlie? No. Oh, okay. We could be. I, I didn't know if we switched up. No, we, we might as well be. It was said that there was many nights that he would be with multiple women. But again, like you said, Gibbs, this is a... 33-year-old guy, fairly young, smart, very wealthy, but he was only five feet tall. He was a short guy. That's very short for a man. It is short for a man. But he had the money to essentially get, for the most part, whatever he wanted. Yeah, I think it was also said, I think during the research, that he was also kind of awkward. So I think between the awkwardness and maybe not... What some women of the caliber that he wanted were looking for, and the fact that he was five feet tall. Yeah, yeah. No, I would say yeah, because that. he's out where it's very, you know, you're in L.A., Hollywood. Image is everything. Image, image drives everything out there. 
it was a tough gig for him to compete, but the money sure made it easier. Well, I don't, I don't think I'm saying anything that anybody doesn't know. You know, you can be six two and have what you would call what was it? Catalog looks. Catalog looks. You could have that. Yeah. And not have a ton of money. Right. And be attractive to people. But you can also be five foot tall and have millions of dollars and be attractive to people as well. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash true crime. Sure. But it doesn't always work no. the other way. I Man, I think that's just the fact of life. And I don't think I'm telling... I know what people say, their email is, it's not about looks, it's not about... You know what, Out I'm telling you, out in LA, oh. it's all about image. Image and, and, and or money and right. both. So they're investigating Yagala, which they have to, right? That's the ex-boyfriend. Sure, it makes sense. Maybe they thought there was some motive there. And they continued to learn things about him, right? He would tell people that he wanted to be Gordon Gecko. Gecko. Love that movie. Remember that? We're talking about Charlie Sheen. Yeah, just got kind of all came full circle. Turned it around. Turned it around. Yeah. Gordon Gecko. The first movie was better than the second, by the way. I never saw the second one. Yeah, just save your money. Okay. But speaking of money, which we did, we talked about him making money in high school. Right. You know, he made some money. Like into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Can you imagine just sitting, study hall, moving some stocks around, <laughs> some day trading, whatever. And like, you know, meanwhile, your buddy's going off to McDonald's to work for the night. And you're like, drink beer at the reservoir. Yeah. And you're like, I just, I just netted myself 110,000, buddy. And then obviously, we know after that period of time, he started making millions of dollars. He did. But as his money grew, I think his appetite for sex grew kind of long with it. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. That kind of went hand in hand. Yes, it did. And police would learn that Mark Ugala was at one point was even involved with Michelle Braun. And Michelle Braun back in that time was known as the kind of the madam of Hollywood. She really was. It was, it was before the whole Heidi Fleiss thing. I mean, she ran basically the best escort service out there. Well, this is, these were quality escorts. That's why I said best. The best? I don't want to say one is better than the other, but she could charge a whole lot more because her escorts were models. They were... The cream of the crop. Cream is what of the you're crop, saying. Yeah, yeah. They were porn stars. They were actresses. You don't want to say one's better than the other, like what you're rating them, like, well, like I don't want giving to say them a Yelp rating, or someone, what? Someone's in the Midwest and they're not famous. Does that make them a worse escort than someone that's in? Are you worried about offending? I do. Like an escort yeah. service? They're saying, yeah. I can't believe you said that one's better they're, than we are. They all work hard for their money, no matter where they're at. You crack me up. <laughs> they just Gibby's out there giving Yelp reviews I, on hey, escort services. You all get five stars. <laughs> I don't use them, but yeah, five stars. No, but, you know, to your point, these were women that were, I mean, very beautiful. Yes. But, but also trying to make it in other fields. Yeah. So they were charging a lot of money. A lot of money. I mean, up to as much as $50,000 a night. That's, that's a lot of money for uh, a roll in the hay. I mean, that's more than, you know, a lot of people make in a year. Yeah, really. You're talking about paying that for one night with a woman? One night. And investigators dig into, you know, Mark's time with Sandy. You know, they find out about all the money that he spent. And, you know, during that investigation, Gibbs, there were a lot of people that they talked to that thought Sandy was like a professional gold digger. Well, Michelle would even say during the investigation to the uh, police officers that, you know, she works with a lot of gold diggers, but she said Sandy was like cream on top of it. She was like a professional 
the best gold digger. She knew how to work it. So that's coming from somebody that knew gold diggers pretty well. Well, the pair was together just over a year, and it was estimated that you know that year-long relationship cost him about seven million dollars. Yeah, man. So I know we're kind of harping on it, but well, he would. You kind of have to do. Yeah, he would say everything that he bought her. Plus, he would spend just about a hundred thousand a month just on food and incidentals. Incidentals. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's important to talk about the scope of it because you know that came into play when the police were looking at him. Well, sure. That's a hell of a motive because number one, not because so much just because he spent a bunch of money on her, but I think he, he had fallen deeply in love with her. Well, you, you clearly don't spend that type of money if you don't think you're in love. Right. So that's where the kind of the motive would come in. Now she's seeing this new guy with the catalog looks. I'm going to milk that for all it's worth. Catalog, yeah. Catalog. I'm going to make a shirt. But like that movie. I have catalog looks. Just like that movie, man. You can't buy me love. Remember that? Yeah, I think it's called Can't Buy Me Love. Remember what's this? It's the, the doctor from Grey Anatomy. I think it's called Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy. The doctor. <laughs> Dr. McDreamy. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I, don't I actually I don't like his, that movie. I don't remember his name, but. I actually like that movie a lot. You like it because they ride that lawnmower at the end together. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. You know, did you know the girl in that? She died. She did? Mm-hmm. She was cute. What she passed away. I don't know. Oh. I saw it on one of those things, one of those yeah. clickbait things. Yeah, she was cute. Clickbait? You actually click on the clickbait? Yeah, I might be guilty of that. Because you saw her, she's cute, and you're like, I mean, no, I wonder no, what happened to her. You know, you see those ones, it was like, you know, what happened to stars of the 90s? Or, yeah. But it said, she, yeah, she died young. Oh, and I, I don't bad. remember the specifics. Well, explains why I haven't seen her in anything lately. The other thing that police would learn during their investigation, though, Gibbs, is that, you know, Mark Yagala, he didn't have that big money anymore. He was being investigated for taking money from clients because apparently he was taking their money, not investing it. He was spending it, had been spending it on Sandy Bentley. Yeah. And the the FBI was on to Mark Yagala about you know, stealing this money from clients. And it, it was said that he owed his uh, brokerage firm $7 million and was about $50 million in the hole altogether. That's not good. So he went from living the life to being $50 million in the hole. It's hard to come back from that. $50 million. And it was right when the investigation into this began that, Sandy left him. But like we said, she kept the uh, expensive jewelry. And it would be this jewelry that police latch onto and start to suspect that, you know, this might be the reason that Michael and Chris were killed. So police are theorizing that Sandy had Michael sell some of the high-end jewels on the black market for fast money. And that maybe the buyer was a patron of the nightclub, you know, this exclusive fancy nightclub where Michael Tardio was the doorman. It really was. It was hotter than the Viper room. And you remember how hot that was? That was where River Phoenix died. Yeah, that was the place to be back in the day, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, that was the one I think Johnny Depp was owned part of it with a bunch of the other No, I think you're right. Hollywood folks. So that's saying something, you know, again, it was a hot spot. And so I think the investigation heads to the club and, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, Michael Tardio is this really good looking guy. Sandy's a playboy bunny. I mean, they really did on paper make like the perfect couple, right? Both really good looking people. People said that Sandy was really into Michael Tardio. And you have this hot spot, you have all these famous people together, but you're also going to get the people that cater to famous people. So you're going to get the drug dealers. Sure. You're going to get the escorts. It's just, this is going to come with the territory when you have rich, famous people congregating. Yang, yang. You're going to have the people that want to provide them with the things that they want. That's what happens. So, but as police are looking into Mark Yagala... He has an alibi, and it's pretty solid alibi, Gibbs. 
given the fact that he was sitting in a jail cell for some of these financial crimes that we talked about at the time that these murders occurred. But because of these crimes that Mark Yagala was involved in, the courts ordered him to disclose where he spent his money, whether he had hidden any money. They wanted to know where everything was. You know, where were all the valuables? Where was the expensive jewelry? Where where were all these things at? At the same time, they ordered Sandy Bentley to sign over essentially all the stuff that Mark Yagala had bought for her. So we're talking about the home, the car, the jewels. And I don't think this set very well with Sandy Bentley. I think, you know, once she heard this news, she started to get nervous. She started to figure out, Gibbs, I would think, how can I keep this jewelry? You know, he gave it to me. He bought it for me. I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of it. I don't want to give it up. Yeah. And, you know, it's still, you know, she's got the the jewels and everything still in her, in the home that she's supposed to sign out of her name back to the authorities. The $3 million house yeah, that Mark bought. Yeah. And it's got all these jewels and everything he bought is in this. But uh, she's thinking, I'm not going to have anything. And so she talks it over with Michael and they decide to go back to her house that she was told she was vacated from through the court order. And she goes back and they go inside and locate the jewels and they decide which ones they're going to take, which ones they think they could, they could get the most money for. So, of course, they choose the pretty woman styled necklace earrings. And then there was this really high end canary diamond ring that was worth like over a half million dollars. So she took that as well. Half million dollar ring, man. Seems like it'd be hard to sell something like that. You would think. You would think. Or you'd have to give a, a hell of a discount. A heck of a discount. To get rid of it. But what they didn't know was that there was a private investigator that was ordered by the courts to watch the house. And so they videotaped Michael and Cindy going in the house and leaving the house. And then after they left, they went into the house and took inventory and realized that Certain items were missing. Well, and that makes sense, right? They would have inventoried that house. So pretty easy to go back in and and do it again and say, okay, here's what we had before. Here's what we have now. Right. So obviously this is what they took. I mean, you're talking over $800,000 worth of jewels that she walked away with. Well, just in those two things that you mentioned, right? The the pretty woman styled uh, necklace. And that diamond ring alone, I think, were worth close to 800000 It's a lot of money. Now, when investigators talked to Sandy, they already had this information. But Sandy claimed that the jewels were lost or stolen and that she didn't do anything with them. She didn't take them. But the investigators, like we said, they already knew the whole story. They knew that Sandy and Michael had taken the jewelry. They knew that from the videotape. They also knew that Michael was attempting to fence the jewelry and he was asking for a million dollars. A million smackaroonos. And they knew this because he was talking to people at the club about it. So after the murders, as they're investigating, they're, they're questioning people at the club. It comes out pretty quickly. They're able to put those pieces together. And he did have some some early interest, especially from a woman named Linda Kim. And we've got to talk about this this woman named Linda Kim. If she was an, an ex-weapons dealer. Yeah. Was involved with some type of sex bribery scandal that had to do with the South Korean Defense Ministry. I mean, this thing, this is where we get into like the international intrigue part of the story. So there was a a $210 million contract between South Korea and this Texas-based company called E-Systems. And it was a subsidiary of a big company, Raytheon. That's a big company. That's a huge company. And Linda Kim was part of this. She befriended some of the top people in the South Korean government, three or four different people. And it was said that they basically all fell in love with her. 
she was attractive and she knew how to use that to help sell her defense contract. But the thing about it is these people fell in love with her, not knowing that their colleagues were also in love with her. It was kind of a strange yeah, deal. It was a strange deal. But they would profess their love to her. All of them. All of them. And of course, because of this, Gibbs, she wins the uh, the contract her, for her company. But then a bunch of love letters leak out. So because the Israeli government and another several governments lost out on the bid that they felt they should have they they start looking into it on their own and somehow got a hold of some of these letters and leaked it to the government and so it got out and it was a very embarrassing for South Korea because they all their key top officials were just willing to give somebody a contract based on their feelings towards the sales lady they bought weapons based off of how they felt versus what's best for the country. Yeah, they, they, they weren't doing their job. They, right. were, they were just making decisions to make this, this woman happy. Right, exactly. Thinking that, that she was going to reciprocate the love. I think that's what they were hoping. But she did what she had to do. She landed a big contract. And she made a ton of money. She did get a ton of money out of it. Because you're talking, what was it, a $210 million contract. You know her commission was hefty. But part of the problem was when they started investigating this is that they dug pretty deep and they found out her mom still lived in South Korea and was living in this little shack by a by a river. Which is better than a van down by the river. <laughs> better than the van down by the river. But yeah, so the media had a field day with that because they're like, you know, here's somebody that made millions. Yeah, her mom you know, is still living in this shack in South Korea. But uh, I think she responded back. That's where my mom wants to live. That's where she grew up, and that's the culture she's used to. You know, where she was, Linda was now living in L.A., living that lifestyle. So you mentioned that Linda lived in L.A., and at the time of the murders, she was in, in the Hollywood, L.A. area running a hotel, and Linda Kim had actually looked at the jewels that Michael Tardio was trying to sell, and she knew that they were real. She knew these were very expensive, high-quality jewelry items, but she passed on the deal. For some reason, Gibbs, she didn't feel comfortable buying these from Tardio. Now, Michael had also shown the jewels and, and talked to some other people as well, and some of these people were not quite so reputable. But the key thing here is that it was widely known on the streets to you know people in that in those circles that he was trying to fence these jewels. It was no secret. Investigators were able to get a hold of uh, Michael Tardio's cell phone, and they determined that he talked to Sandy right before his murder. So the police bring her in for questioning the day after the murder. But again, at this point, she's denying everything. I mean, she's denying the fact that she even took the jewelry, that he was selling the jewelry. Sure, she's in that protective mode, like... She's clammed up. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I have nothing to do with anything. You know, it was said that she was very standoffish to police during questioning. So eventually, the investigators, they make a deal with her. And the deal is that if she cooperates fully they would not charge her for the theft of the jewelry. Yeah, I, I think eventually, you know, her attorney and the prosecutors probably got together and said, hey, I know you're really digging and need some help. And she wants to help, but she's worried that she could go to prison because she took something that she wasn't supposed to take against a court order. Well, and at some point, she's was probably faced with the evidence that they had yeah. and knew that the I didn't do any of this wasn't going to hold up. Yeah, especially since they had, you know, the private eye videotaping her going into the place and then all of a sudden the inventory changed. So after the agreements in place, then at that point she begins to tell him everything. So Sandy will tell him that, you know, her and Michael took the jewels. They went in the house. They decided what jewels they wanted to take and that Michael did find a buyer at the club that he worked. 
and that Michael was going to make plans with some guy that knew a guy. It's always a guy that knows a guy. I know a guy that knows a guy. Always. Yeah. So he was going to make plans with this guy that knew a guy to meet up and sell the jewels for the million dollars he wanted. But Sandy would tell investigators that she only knew the buyer as Mr. Big and that he was extremely wealthy. Well, I guess he'd have to be if he wants to buy a million dollars of stolen jewels. It'd have to be. And Sandy relayed to investigators that Michael had said that the deal was set to happen during the Labor Day weekend. So Michael Tardio was last seen alive September 1st, 2002. That was the day before he was found dead. And on that day, he would rent a car. But Gibbs, he didn't rent just any car. He gets a jet black Mercedes SUV fully loaded. That's the way you do it, man. It's a big baller. That's a baller. It was also said that he had been asking around town for a portable money bill counter. So a machine that, you know, would count cash. Cash quickly. Yeah. I don't know if they make them portable. I've never seen them portable. I think they, he had the problem finding one that's portable. They do make small ones. Yeah. But they just wouldn't do it as quickly or as handle as many bills. I've seen smaller ones. Have you? Yeah. Well, you, you got all that money that you got to count every night. So, right. From your side business. <laughs> all my singles. All your singles. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing that we know is that a few hours before this deal with Mr. Big was set to occur, Michael Tardio visited Linda Kim at her hotel and I think this was a last-ditch effort to see if she would reconsider his deal and, and buy the jewels. So to me, Gibbs, that is saying that he had some type of reservations about this meeting with Mr. Big. Yeah, I think he was kind of concerned. Of course, you know, every time we say Mr. Big, I keep thinking of the guy that was supposed to he was the character in Sex in the City. I, I don't know. I, I know you didn't watch I it. I didn't watch Sex I knew that City. was coming. The fact that you know all about it. It just happened to be on. And, oh, uh, that whole it just happened, it happened to, be to be on story. Yeah. But there was a dude named Mr. Big. You're such a Samantha. Uh, see, I knew you knew. <laughs> it really was just on when I seen it. I think Mike actually TiVo'd it back in the day. TiVo. Remember TiVo? I do. I do. I never had one, but I remember. But Linda Kim would pass on the deal again and you know what you read is that she thought that these jewels had some type of negative energy she just wasn't feeling it it wasn't because she didn't want them and i don't think that it was because she thought they were stolen i don't think she didn't have that knowledge at the time yeah she just i don't know i mean i'm glad she like she had a Feeling, feeling, moral compass about it. I guess I don't. I don't. What wouldn't be a moral compass? No, because she didn't know it was stolen. Right. She just didn't want that type of deal because it didn't feel right. Unlike the deal selling two hundred and some million dollars worth of guns to South Korean by playing a little love whatever letter thing. She didn't get the same negative energy. No, she got a positive one from that one. So hey, each their own. But she she turned it down. She did not buy them. And just to you know, kind of emphasize how nervous Michael was to meet this Mr. Big, at the last minute, he reached out to a buddy. And this friend of his was a Hollywood stuntman. He was a big, tough guy. And Michael asked him to come along as his bodyguard. So if that doesn't say, Gibbs, that I'm a little worried about this meeting. Yeah. I don't know what does. It definitely screams it. But his buddy passed. He didn't want anything to do with this. And it's at this point that he asked Chris Monson, his best friend, to go with him. And you know, Gibbs, your best buddy asked you to do something. He says he's worried. He needs your help. If you're a good best friend, you're going to do that. You're going to jump in and say, let's go. Was role. And he does. He agrees to go with him and kind of be his backup. Now, a couple of things we know. We know that Sandy and Michael clean the jewelry up, put them in some type of fancy jewel case, and then Michael and Chris 
headed out about 9.30 p.m. on the 1st to a restaurant on Sunset Boulevard. And this is where they were scheduled to meet Mr. Big. And authorities are going to find out that Mr. Big asked Michael and Chris to follow him to an undisclosed location to make this exchange. And they know that the location was somewhere up in the Hollywood Hills. Which is, uh, from where they're at, it's a a little drive, but it's an isolated area. I've been up the Hollywood Hills before. It's it's kind of isolated. Well, and the reason why they know this is because Michael talks with Sandy around 1130 p.m. And he tells her this information, right? They're headed to the hills. And at that point in time, he says they're currently driving through the Mount Olympus area. And that would be the last time that anyone would hear from or see Michael Tardio and Chris Monson alive. I mean, the the next thing that comes up is police are going to discover their bodies. So the police believe that sometime between 1130 p.m. and 130 a.m., Michael and Chris were shot somewhere in the Hollywood Hills. And the police would also say that it looked like Michael and Chris were taken by surprise when they were when they were shot. I don't want to say ambush, but maybe something like that. You know, they just they didn't see it coming. Then they believe that the killer drove the SUV back down from the hills and parked it in that location in North Hollywood and then eventually tried to set it on fire. Now, another interesting fact comes out from Sandy, and she tells the police that Michael gave her a phone number the day before and told her that if anything should go wrong, she should call that number. And she gives that number to police. Yeah, and the the police find the owner of that number, and it's Michael Jacobs, and they're pulling him into the interrogation room, and they will have him in there several different times. And they will also put a surveillance team on him a few times. Well, Michael Jacobs was a convicted felon. And the police theory is that Michael Jacobs is the one that hooked Michael Tardio up with Mr. Big. Because they have cell phone records showing calls made between Jacobs and Tardio throughout the day and into the night of the murders. Police would go even further and say that Jacob's cell phone pings show he was near Michael at the time of the 930 meetup. And maybe Gibbs even more incriminating is the fact that his cell phone pings later on at the location where the bodies were found. So during police questioning, Michael Jacobs would say that Sandy Bentley called him late that night, looking for Michael. But other than that, he had nothing to do with the killings, nothing to do with the uh, jewels. And when his head hits the pillow, Gibbs, he sleeps well. Yeah, he has no problem. He says, I didn't have anything to do with this. He flatly denies. He says, I was not involved in this at all. But you have to say that the cell phone pings, if they are accurate, don't make it don't make it look good for him on the surface of it it just doesn't look good for him but clearly the i mean the police they don't have anything that they can dig any deeper on i mean they just don't have it well and and cell phone ping evidence you know has come under fire about how it works how reliable it is i know i know it has in in years past i don't know about today or you know we're talking 2002 yeah they're they're in not in the not so distant past, cell phone ping evidence has come under fire. But other than what he's told investigators, you know, Michael Jacobs has nothing else to say. Not making any statements other than than the nose that he's told the police. Yeah, and probably taking some good advice from his attorney. So to date, as of now, police are no closer to finding a suspect. The jewels have never surfaced, but there are a lot of people that think. Whoever took the jewels would have pretty quickly cut them up, you know, maybe putting put put them in different settings. Yeah, I think that's would be the wise thing to do if if you own these. I mean, you're not gonna clearly you're not gonna 
bring them out on the public market. You're going to take them on the black market, move them around that direction. Probably not sell them as they were. No, because one, it'd be too easily identified. And the other part would be just that's a large sum of money up front where you can chop them up and and get smaller pockets of money that wouldn't be so trackable on the market. I mean, there's many ways to fence these things throughout, you know, the black market, underground market, whatever you want to call it. So in kind of wrapping it up, Sandy Bentley is now married. She's a mom. She has a family. Uh, Her old boyfriend, Mark Yagala, he lost everything. He did. He owes money to just about everybody. Right. He scammed a lot of people. Sure. Apparently. And he now lives in Thailand. He in Thailand. Eating Thailand food. <laughs> or Thai food. Or Thai food. As most people would call it. Is that what you call pho? No, that's Vietnamese. That's Vietnamese. It's around the corner. Yeah. P-H-O. P-H-O. I'm pretty sure that's Vietnamese. Yeah. So he's eating some Thai. And then Michael's, you know, when we began this, we talked about how Michael was married. And of course, his his wife and kids moved on. And, and Michael's uh, wife is, I believe, now living in Denver, living a great life. So... Yeah, and she's remarried. Remarried. Has a family yep. as well. Yep. But yet, this is still unsolved. There's no answers right now for who did this to Michael, who did this to Chris. So their families still don't have closure. And we didn't talk a lot about Chris Monson because he wasn't a part of a lot of the stuff that happened in this case. If you really think about it, Gibbs, he comes in at the very end of this case having been asked by his good friend to help him out to go with him and he ends up dead. He He was just helping a buddy, man. Yeah, he wasn't a part of all the stuff that happened before and and the the theft of the jewels. He wasn't a part of any of that, as far as we know. He was just being a stand up dude. Yeah, he's being a good friend. Yeah. Right, so that is the case of the murder of Christopher Monson and Michael Tardio. I don't know, Gibbs. 15 years, 16 years, uh, 15 and a half years gone by. It's a long time. It is a long time. Not saying that you know some of this jewelry might surface. It's probably unrecognizable at this point. I would think it'd be very hard to locate it. I really, I really do. I think that's why we haven't. I think it's already been... Cut up, split up, and... Somebody's wearing it, and if you looked at it, you would not never know that it was part of... It's another uh, different way to say blood diamond. Yeah. But it's it's an interesting case just because of all the layers and all the facets and kind of side stories. So, yeah, this is one that, unless somebody just all of a sudden gets, like, some kind of major guilt and decides they want to unload that guilt, or it's a deathbed confession... I just don't know how you solve something like this. I don't either. And there's no evidence. There's no DNA that somebody's ultimately going to show up in a database. They just, they don't have anything. No. It's unfortunate for the families. Yeah. All right, Gibbs, we've got some voicemails. Voicemails? Hear some of those? I like voicemails. Hey, Mike and Gibby. This is Heidi from Nebraska. I'm in the middle of the Aldolfo Costanzo and Sarah Aldretti case. And I had to go ahead and pause it and give you guys a call. Because early on here, you're talking about how we just don't talk about a lot of women in this show. And what the reasoning behind that might be. Um, if women are just getting away with it or whatnot. So I had to call and tell you guys something that I learned the other day from my dad, who does forensics. And he explained to me that there are actually more women on death row for premeditated manslaughter than there are men. And the way he explained it was purely a forensic psychology way to explain the statistic. Not saying all men and women are like this, so I hope I don't offend anybody. But if a man walks in to his wife and her lover in bed out of passionate rage, he is grabbing a gun and shooting the two of them. And he is getting involuntary manslaughter. On the flip side, if a woman walks into the seat, while she is going to be angry, she is going to let that anger stew and fester a little bit. And she is going to start plotting and scheming because women are far more conniving than men on the standard. And she's going to murder. So that's probably a good reason as to why maybe a lot of these women are getting away with it because they have planned so meticulously. But also why we're probably not hearing about a lot of them on your guys' show. I just wanted to let you guys know that. I found it very interesting and I thought you would too. So I just wanted to share. Thank you, guys. I love your podcast. It's amazing. You're amazing. Have a great day and keep your own time ticket. 
Wow, thanks, Heidi. Yeah, really cool voicemail. And, you know, I think, we, you know, we do talk about that, right? Why, why are we profiling so many men, not as many women? I think there's a lot of reasons for it. But the one that she brings up or, you know, that her dad brought up and, and told her is a very interesting one. Because I do believe that men are much more hot-headed, more prone to act or react very quickly. Speak and for I'm yourself. Not, well, I'm not, yeah. And I'm not talking about serial killers, right? I'm talking about like one-off right. murders or, yeah, you know. Crimes of passion. Especially like in, in crimes of passion and things like that. So, yeah, what she says is very interesting. Or did you just said it, didn't you? Probably. Interesting. <laughs> This is Holly from California. All right. So Holly called Gibbs. Did she call us first or is she calling somebody else then called us? I, I don't know, but I got the biggest kick when I out of it when I listened to it. So number one, she's from California. Our case is, is in California. Right. But she just said who she was, and then there was a bunch of dog barking. And yeah, I couldn't decipher the dog bark. I think they were like, Gibby's Team Gibby. Team Gibby, we're Team Gibby. <laughs> Please send us some Team Gibby doggy bandanas. So I hope that Holly hears this and she'll call back. Yeah. Because I kept looking for one that. You're teasing us now. Give us the rest of the message. <laughs> yeah, where she was going to call back, but she didn't. So hopefully everything's okay. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Everything's good. Call us back and let us know. Hopefully, uh, you know, maybe the pizza guy came and then she just forgot to call back. Maybe that's what it was. So, Holly, if you hear that, call us back. Hey, Mike and Gibby. This is Marcy. I'm just calling because I wanted to say that I love the show. And I only started listening because um, I was listening to the episode about Christopher Porco, who is from my hometown. And then I just started listening to everything else and I became addicted. So keep up the good work. And keep your own time ticking. All right. Love that. So she's referencing a True Crime All Time episode. Hopefully she listens to Unsolved as well. Yeah, Marcy. Are you listening to both of them? <laughs> Hopefully. You better be. Because we have to split up the voicemails. We get so many voicemails that uh, we have to split them up. Yeah, we do. Yeah, just keep them coming. Hello, Mike and Judy. Um, this is Diana uh, from Illinois. Uh, just wanted to tell you a funny story. Actually, um, I've been listening to you guys this um unsolved uh, podcast since I already finished all the episodes from the um, true crime all the time and so I moved on to the other podcast and I actually had to go pick up something um, that I was getting for free and um, it turns out that it was kind of you know uh, a long drive from my home it was actually more towards like the um, you know where it's more country and they told me, you know, uh, whenever you get here, if we're not here, you can just come in the, the whatever you're getting, um, you can just pick it up in the back by the back door. And I said, sure, fine, you know. I get over there, I knock on the door, and the man that answers is wearing rubber gloves, like medical gloves. Kind of freaked me out a little. And he said, oh, you know, the item is in the back. And I was like, okay, thank you. And I promise you, as I was walking back there, I just, I just thought, oh no, you know, this is maybe this is not a good thing. <laughs> and I couldn't find the the item, so um, I finally found it. It was right by the back door. But I like walked as fast as I could to my car. I freaked out so much, and I thought it's probably because I've been listening to too many unsolved mysteries on the podcast, but. Yeah, I just kind of thought it was kind of funny afterwards, obviously, <laughs> but not at the moment. Well, thank you guys for everything, and um, talk to you guys later. Bye. Diana, did you hear on the news? They actually arrested somebody in that area that fits that description. Wearing uh, rubber gloves. Rubber gloves. Yeah. He would have people come and get things off the porch. So what, you know, what cracks me up about that story is she had a bad vibe. Yeah. But it didn't stop her. It didn't stop her. She still wanted that free. I still want to know what this free item is. I drove an hour for this thing and I'm going to get this free (laughs) item. So, and it's Illinois. For if you're Gibby, it's Illinois. That's right. All right. So that's it for another episode of True Crime All the Time Unsolved. So for Mike and Gibby, stay safe and keep your own time ticking.